Hello mummers, Laurie here and today we are chatting about the main hormones involved in the beautiful labour and birth dance between a mother and baby. Enjoy! Hey mama, I'm sending you Wonderful pregnancy vibes, it's time for you To guide you through, let's take some time for you It's pregnancy with Hello mummers and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Today we're kicking off the Birth with Confidence series, diving into the amazing hormones involved in a natural physiological labour and birth. So in this episode, we'll discuss the main difference between natural oxytocin versus synthetic hormones, the key differences between early labour and established labour, how adrenaline and anxiety can hamper early labor and the importance of tuning into your body during pregnancy rather than just following the clock. Now, this is episode one of a six-part Birth with Confidence series with the incredibly wise Rhea Dempsey. Rhea Dempsey has been working in the childbirth space for over 30 years since the birth of her first daughter, which drew her to this field. She's a birth worker, childbirth educator and counsellor who has attended over 1,000 births in her time. And she's also the author of two incredible books, Birth with Confidence and her most recent Beyond the Birth Plan, which are must-read books for every pregnant woman out there. Rhea is passionate about educating mums to reduce their fear around birth and to walk into labour confident in their body and their support team. She believes that it's not enough to feel physically fit and mentally prepared for birth and Rhea wants to help women see how our current birth culture can potentially affect their birth outcomes. If you want to dive into her work deeper, I'd highly recommend you check her out at birthingwisdom.com.au. Now, there is so much important information coming up in this Birth with Confidence series. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. In this Birth with Confidence series, we'll be covering just how important the oxytocin hormone is and how you can stimulate it if labor is stalling, the role of adrenaline and endorphins in late stage labor and how women can mistakenly be thought of as exhausted rather than endorphined, why as a culture we need to reframe labor pain, the current issues in our birth culture and why it's not helpful to pity the laboring woman, crisis of confidence points that you may hit at different points in your labor and so much more. We also have a bonus episode exclusively available to members inside the Pregnancy Posse where Rhea talks us through what she calls wild cards, which are life events or factors that may need to be addressed before birth as potential triggers that may pop up in labor and birth. Now this entire podcast series and all our other podcast series along with our exclusive member-only bonus podcast content is all live right now inside the pregnancy posse so if you'd love to access all the bonus content and listen to or watch this entire series right now rather than waiting for future episodes to come out then please do check out the pregnancy posse i have personally taken my years of experience helping pregnant and postnatal women as a women's health physiotherapist and made this accessible to every wonderful woman online inside the pregnancy posse So when you join the Pregnancy Posse, I will guide you week by week through your pregnancy with safe weekly workouts tailored to your exact week of pregnancy. I also do a weekly Q&A session with all my members where I answer all of the questions that they've submitted. And there is a wonderful community forum where Posse members all support each other, along with a huge resources library to help you avoid the dreaded Google rabbit hole. Now, I would love to help you have a healthy, active, pain-free pregnancy. So just head over to thepregnancyposse.com to see what the Pregnancy Posse is all about and to trial it for seven days. Now, 
Let's get into episode one of our six-part Birth with Confidence series. I know you're going to love today's chat with Rhea all about the natural hormonal dance between a mother and baby and how important this is to not disturb. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Rhea. As I was just saying beforehand, you have been probably my most anticipated guest for myself and for all of the women that are listening to the podcast. So I really appreciate you coming on. I first got in touch with you because somebody gave me your Birth with Confidence book. And in this third pregnancy, I finally decided to book into a proper birth course. And what I loved about your approach to it was that I thought I was going to this birth course to learn practical tools. So where to be massaged, what sacral pressure points to be pushed on. And that that was important and that was a small part of the course, but it was so much more and so much more important um, the message you were spreading about birth culture and birth environment and birth team and really getting your head in the game and asking yourself these really important questions. So it blew my mind and I just thought <laughs> I have to get you on the podcast because you've got so so much insight with your history with attending births and your wisdom and we need to spread this message. So I so appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you. Um, more than happy to be here and as you probably know, you know, if I get a chance to be talking about any of this stuff then I jump at it because I'm pretty passionate as well. Yes. Yeah. And I can see why it's a, it's a minefield to work in, but it's so rewarding and so beautiful. So I thought the best place we could start Ria was to talk about the natural hormonal cascade of birth so that women have a really good base understanding of what actually is meant to happen when we don't interfere. So could you walk us through, I remember in the course, you did this beautiful graph and obviously we don't have that visual here, but could you walk us through the main key players when it comes to hormones in birth and what roles they play, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have to paint a sort of a, 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 using words to paint that picture that I usually have scribbled all over the whiteboard. And um, I mean, it's much more complex than I'm going to talk about now. And if, if, you know, anybody listening wants to get the complexity, then Sarah Buckley's work is the place to go to, to get that complexity. But I'm talking about in particular, the three key hormones that, uh, as I explain them, you'll see the impact is so, so strong in terms of how women experience the birth. And if they can understand just this interplay between these three hormones, then that would make a big difference, I think, to women's understanding and trust in birth. At least that's the feedback I get when I explain it like that. So, of course, we all know that the key, the main hormone is who I call, what I call queen oxytocin. And maybe just to riff on that a little bit. So I call her queen oxytocin because I'm talking about the the oxytocin that's coming from the mother's body and the baby's body and the oxytocin receptors in both the baby and in the mother and that being activated. And that that aspect of oxytocin um, means that it's not only working to drive the contractions and to open the mother's body, it's also crossing the blood-brain barrier and moving and to open mother's hearts and to open our feelings and our emotions and as well to attune us to our babies because our babies, they've only got queen oxytocin going through their systems at this point. So queen oxytocin is, I mean, it's a bigger story than just the birth. You know, we, we, we call it the love hormone, the tender befriend hormone, the empathy hormone. The, it's just the hormone of connection, of human mammalian connection. 
it has these other beautiful qualities that relate to the birth process. But in terms of our social life and our social connections, our relationships, all of that, Queen Oxytocin is queen of all of those things, which is why I call her Queen Oxytocin. We understand, I'm going to come back to the labour in a minute, but this is a bigger picture issue that's so important, um, that that aspect of oxytocin running in our lives, in our social engagements with our babies, with our partners, with our families, with our children, with everybody, anybody, um, that that aspect, you know, a lot of social researchers are talking about that, you know, our empathy, you know, that we're not as empathetic in our communities or so what's happening in terms of our tending and befriending and caring and nurturing. So that that's looked at from a social point of view. Well, those of us who are interested in birth understand that, and the researchers now into this, understand that the mother's oxytocin capacity is being sort of transferred to her baby through the birth process and in that early time after the baby's born. So this is, you know, as well as the opening of the body, it's the opening of the heart and opening of the relationship. So queen oxytocin has a huge role. And maybe I'm going to come swing back around to that uh, in a little while when I give some of the stats just to so, show what's, how much that's under threat. But mm. so we understand this is not only about birth when we're talking about oxytocin, queen oxytocin. It's about the biggest journey between the, the mum and the baby and that baby through their life and that's those sort of social connections and feeling safe and secure that oxytocin is part of that. But, of course, also we know it's the big driver of the contractions. So we want oxytocin, heaps and heaps of queen oxytocin to drive and open our bodies as well as to open our hearts and prepare us and ready us for that deep engagement with our babies. So, yes, that. What I think a lot of in, you know, more generally, we hear oxytocin being talked about lots and lots and lots in terms of birth. Without this differentiation in many people's minds and thoughts, particularly newly pregnant women not understanding this difference, because there is plenty of synthetic oxytocin being used in birth at present. So synthetic oxytocin has the same sort of molecular makeup, apparently, but the big, big difference, the crucial difference between what I'm talking about in terms of queen oxytocin and synthetic oxytocin is that it doesn't have the same effect in terms of opening our feelings and shifting our brains, you know, our brain waves and things that the oxytocin, queen oxytocin does. All synthetic oxytocin does is drive contractions. So we can get babies born. So that's what happens when we've got induction or augmentation using synthetic oxytocin or the management of third stage with synthetic oxytocin. But what happens in birth when synthetic oxytocin comes into the picture, it, null, it sort of nullifies queen oxytocin's production. So then we've got a very different story happening in the birth with synthetic oxytocin, as well as this sort of concerning situation about what does it mean if the mother's feelings and emotions and attunement to her baby is not being triggered by that deep engagement that queen oxytocin brings, because... Mm. Synthetic oxytocin doesn't do that work. So this is part of my strong passion. And maybe, maybe I'm just going to keep going on this theme to, to throw a few figures in about why this is so worrying. Yes. So, and also to, to sort of swing back to, to the question you asked me in the first place. So we know that for normal physiological childbirth, yeah? So the 
dance, the dance between the mum and the baby, is that the baby sort of sends up oxytocin, but also other hormones, and sort of sending out the message to mum, hey, mum, 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 I'm ready, ready, ready. And the mother hormonally is picking up those signals through her body system, saying, okay, darling, yes, I'm ready too, let's rock and roll. That that aspect of, it's called in the stats, spontaneous onset of labor, yeah? With the baby calling the, the timing, the mother responding, then the two of them getting into that hormonal dance, which translates, as we'll talk about a bit more in terms of the dance of the hormones and the contractions and the way the mother is opening her body to allow the baby to do its thing. So all of that, so this spontaneous onset, so that is driven in particular through queen oxytocin. So in Australia at present, only 43% of babies are getting to start labor spontaneously. Mm. So less than half of babies are having their, their labors with the baby calling the shots about, I'm ready. Mm. And the mother, mother and the mother's body re responding. So that means that that full complement of shared oxytocin, queen oxytocin between the mother and baby is very much under threat, just if you look at that stat, yeah? Mm. The breakdown of that is, even with the mothers who, where the labor does start spontaneously of that 43%, 31% of that 43% are gonna go on to be augmented with synthetic oxytocin. And once synthetic oxytocin comes into the picture, changes the story, changes the hormonal exchange between the mum and the baby and all those other things, as well as changes what's going on in the labor. So that's one aspect. We then have the induction rate where queen oxytocin is not getting in. It's, it's synthetic oxy oxytocin from the start. And the induction rate now is 34%. Mm. Then, of course, we have elective caesareans where queen oxytocin doesn't get a look in. It's all synthetic oxytocin. And mm. the, in, the elective induction rate is now 23%. So if we're thinking about queen oxytocin and her magic in birth, as well as her magic in family and relationships and social connection and what have you, then right at this core time, this time of babies coming into the world, which is the big transmission point of the capacity for oxytocin receptors. I mean, it would make me start to cry when I think about it too, too, too greatly, but it's a very, I think it's a very important message to be put through. And if people want to understand that more than certainly looking at Sarah Buckley's work and through her other other researchers across the world who are looking more strongly at the oxytocin and what is happening there. Mm. So, so there we are staying though with queen oxytocin, right? So spontaneous onset of the labor. The labor for most, well, really for all women, there's a, we talk about this idea of, you know, pre-labor or early labor then moving into active or established labor, different midwives, different hospital systems use slightly different language. Um, but I guess the differentiation between pre and early labor is that it has that stop start. We have a bit of a, some few niggles, they're coming here and there, a bit all over the place. Um, difficult, a bit difficult to time because they don't last very long. Um, 
they build up gradually, but then maybe they stop for a while and you go to sleep. You think you might get woken later, but you wake up refreshed in the morning with nothing happening, but as the next night it gets going again. So that pre and early labor really it's in a, in a naturally normally unfolding labor. It's not something really to be able to time. And, but it's very, it can be very challenging and maybe we'll talk about that a bit later, but let's just continue on describing it. Yep. So coming and going, trusting, it will come and go. So when we're reaching what's generally called established or active labor, and that's somewhere around that four to six centimeters, often now thought to, to really be more closer to six centimeters dilated. So maybe just quickly, if, if uh, anybody listening don't really understand, but we're talking about really the dilation or the opening of the cervix. So the cervix during pregnancy has been tightly closed to protect the baby inside the womb from the external environment via the vagina. And so obviously to let the baby out, then the cervix, needs, this is the neck of the womb, needs to open to allow that baby to come out. And so we talk about that in terms of how many centimetres dilated it is. And so uh, pre and early labour is, as I'm saying, coming up to that four to six centimetres. Then when women are into that, you know, certainly into six centimeters when they're at that point, then we shift into established or active labor. And the difference at that point is that pretty much it's on. You know, there's not no more of this stopping and starting. No, it's just like, yep, here we go. The whole ride is on now. And you find um, that most women, it's very obvious when they're in that phase of labor versus the early labor. Because I know still a lot of women go, oh, yeah, but when I feel that niggle, I can't help but get excited. And yeah, yeah, there yeah. is a clear difference, though, isn't there, for the woman to feel the difference between that yeah. early labour and that established labour, yes? Yes, there is. And the, the, um, maybe just to jump back a little bit, one of the things in that pre and early labour, again, where it's coming and going a bit, stopping and starting, gently building, or sometimes not, maybe not so gently but building, um, there's also a period in there where one of the other big hormones that can that impact birth, both in terms of normal physiological childbirth, but also can be problematic in a labor is adrenaline. And adrenaline, we know that that um, it's a fight or flight, but it's also that excitement and engagement feeling. So for a lot of women in pre and early labor, yes, that they've got the oxytocin coming, but they've also got there's a particular shunt of adrenaline that comes through. Um, because, you know, when we've got a shunt of adrenaline, it, it drives us to action, yeah, to doing, doing, doing something. And so this is often talked about, you know, as the nesting urge. And so women are getting quite well excited on the one hand, but also agitated that we've got to get this organized and this and this and this and this and this. And, this. Um, and sometimes that, that adrenaline surge comes and needs to dissipate and the way we I mean just generally in life with adrenaline for adrenaline to dissipate out of our systems we need action to be doing something to to release it so women that's that nesting urge often frantically gathering things or cleaning things or whatever it is that they might be doing um, and then that adrenaline surge will dissipate and the oxytocin will, will come further and come stronger and we're moving closer to that established labour. 
just to say in that, and whether we'll talk a bit more about this later, but for some women, you know, if they have anxieties about birth and who wouldn't, given the press it gets in our present culture, um, that that sort of naturally occurring adrenaline spike that is part of that nesting urge, part of the normal physiology of birth, sometimes that can get hijacked for women because they can go into a whole lot of then concerns and worries and anxieties, which keeps adrenaline running rather than letting it dissipate. And so adrenaline, you know, oxytocin to come, over, come and flood the whole system. And so if women get caught in anxiety during that uh, excitement, yes, anxiety no but if they get caught in anxiety either their own personal anxieties or anxiety from people around them or just the stories that are happening around birth then that is going to be stay problematic because if there's floods of adrenaline then they will slow everything down shut it down because we've got to think about ourselves as you know primal in this sense about all the how the hormones work and if women weren't feeling safe back, back, back when, then the labour would shut down. They would try and get to somewhere where they could be safer and have their baby. So mm. we're not far removed. We're far, far removed from that in terms of how we think about these things, but we're not in terms of our physiology. We're not very far removed from that. So if women are, uh, get hijacked by anxiety in pre and early labour, or even before they go into to pre and early labour, then that's got lots of adrenaline running through their bodies rather than allowing space for that oxytocin to come through and to queen oxytocin to do their magic so there's that sorry Ria I was just thinking about the classic story where particularly when someone is overdue and they're stressing and they're doing all the bouncing and the curries and it's finally when they go you know what I'm just going to just relax. And that's when their bodies go into labor. And that makes so much sense with what you're saying about yes. adrenaline overshadowing the oxytocin before you even go into labor. So that yes. can certainly stall the onset of labor by what you're saying. Yes, yes. And maybe um, just to say a little bit more about that in terms of lifestyle, yeah, separate to whether there's any specific anxieties. But women in late pregnancy often are living very busy lifestyles mm. and are unable because of, you know, either how their life is set up or what's being expected of them or what have you, to really drop into their bodies. Mm. So I've come to also talk about it from the point of view of that um, in late pregnancy, and I guess I'm looking at least that last six weeks or ideally even before that, but certainly at that point, that if women are still needing to live their life according to, to the clock, mm. just symbolically to talk about it like that. If they're having to follow the clock, in terms of when they get up, about when they're being active, about when they can rest, about when they can sit and ponder the beauty of babies or can, can you know, have some relaxation or do things that, they, that give them pleasure or delight rather than having to, to be up and on and, you know, be totally on in terms of that mental engagement with, with whatever is in their, their work or their pathway in life at that point. Um, if they're not attuned to their body but actually having to control their body, using that reference of the clock that says mm-hmm. when you have to get up, when you have to do this, have to do that, when you can eat, when you can't eat, when you could, you know. So if they're following the clock, 
then in a, their body is in a stress state. Mm. And if their body's in a stress state, then there's going to be more adrenaline in their body system than oxytocin. Mm. So in as much as women can in late pregnancy switch from, you know, be in situations and not everybody can, but if they can in some at least be mindfully modifying whatever they can so that they're able to follow their body's rhythm about when their body feels like it needs to be active or walking or resting or whatever, eating or eliminating or whatever, then, then that would mean they're more in their oxytocin system. And so, of course, then if they've got their oxytocin system active, Mm. they're more likely to be able to pick up on the baby's signal say, and the baby knocking on the door and saying, hey, 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 I'm ready, sending up those messages and the, baby, the mother's body is ready to respond. Mm. But if the mother's body is in that more stressed state, as I'm saying, about that clash of lifestyle, you know, as opposed to primal woman and primal bodies, primal, primal birthing, then that can, I'm sure it speaks to part of the, the high rates of, induction and so on not only there are other reasons behind that but so that's a very important thing for for women to understand and I guess that means if one's life can't be rejigged to such an extent that really you're just in a in that beautiful bliss relaxed state oxytocin state all the time then at least you know grabbing hold of situations and doing regular relaxation or whether it's yoga or meditation or whatever, but doing that in the midst of other things so that you're really boosting that oxytocin system as well as just the chill out delights of, of communicating with our babies, then that's pretty important for women to do. And that was a big takeaway I got from your course as well is I wouldn't say I'm a stressed out, anxious person by any stretch of the imagination. But when I truly thought about, do I run my body by a clock or do I tune into what my body is telling me? I still very much lean towards going by the clock. I, I'll eat now because it's lunchtime as opposed yeah. to, am I actually hungry or what do I feel like eating? Yeah. And that's a big takeaway I've taken for this pregnancy, third yes. pregnancy as well, is that there's going to be a lot more chill time factored in for me rather than being busy, busy, busy to do lists and all of that. Because like you said, whilst it's, it may sound extreme when you first hear it, but that's stressful, even though it doesn't feel like traditional stress for me, it's still busy. It's still not really upping that oxytocin. So that was a huge um, take home. And unfortunately, I think most women listening to this will be nodding their heads going, oh yeah, Yeah. I I am that woman. So Hey mamas, Laura here. Oh, I love Rhea's straight talking, beautiful dialogue around birth. I am so fascinated with how innately intelligent and incredible our bodies are. And so I love learning about how the hormones interact with each other and are designed perfectly to get our babies born. Oxytocin really is key and it it quite really does quite alarm me that only 43% of births in Australia are initiated with this natural hormonal cascade, which really is quite some scary stats indeed and something I think we should all really be aware about walking into pregnancy and birth. Now, if you'd like to learn more from Rhea, you can find her at birthingwisdom.com.au and I would love to hear from you over on my socials at PhysioLaura and let me know your favorite part of that episode. 
In the next few episodes of this Birth with Confidence series, we'll be chatting with Rhea about how important the oxytocin hormone is and how you can stimulate it if labor is stalling, the role of adrenaline and endorphins in late stage labor, and how women can mistakenly be thought of as exhausted rather than endorphined. Why as a culture we need to reframe labor pain, the current issues in our birth culture and why it's not helpful to pity the laboring woman, crisis of confident points that may pick up at any point in your labor and so much more. Now, if you haven't already, just subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so you don't miss our upcoming episodes in this wonderful series. And if you love today's episode and you want to watch the next five episodes in this Birth with Confidence series. You can find this entire series along with all our other podcast series live right now inside the Pregnancy Posse. For most series of the podcast, we also record exclusive bonus content for Pregnancy Posse members only. And in the bonus member-only episode for this Birth with Confidence series, Rhea talks us through what she coins wild cards and how certain life events or social and emotional factors can pop up as triggers in the birth space. Inside the Pregnancy Posse, you'll also find a weekly guided pregnancy workouts and extensive resources library on birth preparation, pelvic floor exercises and managing pregnancy aches and pains, plus a wonderful community forum and weekly Q&A sessions with me. Now, I would love to help you have a wonderful pregnancy, birth and postnatal experience. So just head over to thepregnancyposse.com to see what the Pregnancy Posse is all about and to trial it for seven days. Now, I will catch you soon for episode two in this six-part Birth with Confidence series where we'll be chatting about queen oxytocin and how to best set up a beautiful oxytocin bubble or recipe to help stimulate labor if for some reason it is stalling. But until then, mamas, sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes and enjoy the incredible journey that is pregnancy.